This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No One Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith, and joining me this week are Natalie James and Kevin to talk about the two-one defeat at home to Manchester City at the weekend. Natalie, we'll start with you. Um, I suppose with so many people expecting us to lose heavily, two-one uh, defeat, nothing to be sniffed at, but still felt a bit disappointing. Weirdly, yeah, it did. It's it's quite a tough one to analyse. Is that game, isn't it? I think. First and foremost, the minimum we asked for this week was a huge improvement in terms of commitment to the game and desire to win from um, following the West Brom game. And we certainly got that. Um, their overall play was much more improved. And it was it was very much like the the Burnley we see at home this season as to pose the one that doesn't particularly travel very well. Um, saying that, on the flip side, we were undone by two incredibly sloppy goals where defence just switched off. Um, and you just can't afford to gift sides like Manchester City goals like that. You're not going to get anything out of games in that league. So a frustrating one. You know, there's there's so many positives to take from the game, but there's also so many, you know, a few negatives as well. So, yeah, a bit frustrated. It's a hard one to, to assess, really. Yeah, it's... I felt like for a large proportion of the game, City were there for the taking. And I don't think um, we really made the most of that. Obviously, the defending for both goals was particularly terrible. And that's six goals in a week that we've just given to the opposition, which is obviously a concern. But yeah, massive improvement on the West Brom game. Um, James, I've seen a lot of people arguing that Burnley deserved more than a defeat from the game. Do you agree with that? What do you, you make of the game overall? Uh, it's one of those tough ones, isn't it? Because obviously the the goals came from mistakes on our part rather than some great play from them. So I think it's hard to sometimes justify that you deserve more from the game when it's it's two clear mistakes from us that have you know allowed them to, to take the three points. But you know you could make a strong case. I think for for us deserving at least a point out of it. I thought for large parts of the game we were. Maybe the better side as well, especially early on. Um, but ultimately, it was those little lapses of concentration that came back and 
you know, better because you can't allow a player like Aguero chances around the six yard box because he, he's going to take them. Yeah, I've, I've, the second one, it wasn't even a chance really, was it? It just sort of hit him and went in. But yeah, a player like Aguero, he probably makes his own luck in those sorts of, of, of situations. My colleague, um, City fan, had said to me in the week building up to it, he's like, he's got no form at the moment, he won't score. So obviously, he was then going to score. Yeah, probably a bit of that. He hadn't been in, in good form, actually. I think I'd pointed out on Twitter that George Boyd had scored twice in two games against Man City. Aguero hadn't scored against us, so it's probably a bit my fault that Boyd was terrible and Aguero scored two goals, so hands up. Sorry about that. Um, Kevin, with Tom Heaton missing through injury, there was probably a bit of concern over how Paul Robinson would do, but he, he did pretty well. Two very good saves. Couldn't do much about either goal. I thought he was maybe a little bit slow to get down for the first, but overall proves that he's a, a capable deputy. Yeah, um, I mean, when we saw the team sheet come out and you've got, um, you know, there was questions before the match over whether Aguero uh, would be fit or not. And when, when he's fit, and but he, he and isn't... Um, yeah, it was like worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, it? I mean, it was, was it Paul Robinson's first start in like four years or something and his first Premier League game in seven years? Um, yeah, and, you know, particularly coming up against, you know, a team like like Man City, he certainly didn't embarrass himself. Um, yeah, he, he pulled out a few, uh, a, you know, a few decent stops here and there, I believe. And and you know, he's he had a role to play in the goal as well. You know, he was his his long ball upfield, which um, you know, it's, I'm sure he's not going to take all the credit for that assist. But you know, he he got a good ball into the box and we ended up scoring from it. So you know, he's, he's not going to. He's not going to, you know, go away. Yeah, I've seen a few people hard. saying um, Paul Robinson's got one Premier League assist this season, the same as Paul Pogba. Makes you think, but I think it's probably a bit of a stretch to call it an assist when someone headed it back to to Dean Money. I don't think that can really count as an assist, but he is very accurate with those those long kicks, and particularly towards the end of the game when we were very direct, it did give us a, a bit of an extra dimension. I'm not saying Robinson's going to play instead of Heaton, but it is something that he's got that Heaton. Um, probably doesn't. Um, Natalie, we do have to talk about our goal, though. Sensational strike from Dean Marnie. He's probably been due on seven years since he scored a Premier League goal, and we've seen him wind up those shots a lot of times for them to go dribbling wide, <laughs> miles over the crossbar, over the stand. <laughs> we caught it beautifully. Yeah, we did. He did, and you know what? I'm really pleased for him. Every now and again, you get a goal like that and it makes the 100 screamers that he does from the rest of the season um, just all the worthwhile. And, and everybody was delighted. Marnie's one of those players. He's such a hero at Burnley. Everybody loves him. Um, and to see him get on the goal sheet was really good. We actually had um, one of our listeners, um, Harry Tomlinson, who I was going to give a shout out today, actually. Um, he tweeted just after that goal went in to say, Dean Marnie scored a screamer against City on my birthday and that's all that matters. And I think there were a couple of people who had birthdays um, on Saturday. I think Martin Bidolf as well had a birthday and they were all just saying that Dean Marnie's wonder strike into the back of the corner was the best birthday present they could have got and why birthday not? Shout out, it's on the Not Then Ever podcast, the, the new section. I know. <laughs> <Essentially>, <laughs> happy birthday if it was your birthday in uh, the last week. Uh, but the foot... 20 quid ago, so everyone <laughs> Yeah, knows. we do need to make some money, so yeah, you do need to pay for birthday shout outs in future. This was a one-off special deal. Um, the flip side of, of Marnie's performance, though, James, excellent goal, and he'd been playing very well, apart from a, a Marnie-ish tackle that he got booking for, was that he went off injured, and so did Johan Goodmanson, which made it very difficult for us with having to reshuffle twice just before half-time. 
yeah, very difficult. Um, I think we're we're the sort of side that at the best of times don't really need injuries, let alone when you know we're having a, a good half against City. And you know, particularly Dean Moore this season, I think he's been resurgent. Obviously, injury problems for a couple of seasons, um, and he's really gone back to his best. And I think a lot of people thought that after injuries and and whatnot, maybe we'd see him tailing off this year, and it'd be someone we'd be looking to, to try and just keep on the bench. But he's been fantastic. And for a start, how often have you seen him keep a shot down from outside the box? So that was great to see. But I thought it was curious of. Maybe the sub then was the obvious one bringing Arfield on, but I thought when uh, Goodmanson got injured, bringing Tarkovsky on was a really interesting pick from from Dash. Uh, I even saw Chris Borden, who uh, I know is not the biggest Michael Carty fan in the world, saying he thought Michael Carty might have been the right choice there. And it did seem a bit odd not going for like for like. Um, obviously, we know Scott Arfield's played out wide quite a lot, but he does tend to come a bit narrower. And I'd felt like early on, part of our you know, what was making us look good against City was the whip we were using. Um, so it was a bit of a strange choice. And I, I thought in the end, Tarkovsky actually had a great game. I'm not sure he was necessarily still the right sub, but you weren't left thinking he wasn't the right sub because he, he'd had a shocker. I thought he actually acquitted himself pretty well considering the, you know, the players he was up against in the middle of the park. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I'm with you. I think Tarkovsky was probably the wrong sub, but that doesn't mean... Um, that he didn't play well. He, he did very well, particularly considering he's still playing that position, really playing in defensive midfield. Um, one thing to point out, obviously, when you make two subs close together, you're not expecting to have to do that. Uh, Scott Arfield had come on to play central midfield, I think, and Dash decided to take the opportunity to put him out wide. You could sort of see the logic behind that, but I think bringing Tarkovsky on for me was maybe a bit of an indication of Dash's cautious nature, a little bit defensive maybe, so it's an opportunity to put on another defender rather than go for it a bit more And alright, he could have put Barnes or Gray on and asked them to play wide and we could have got battered it might have happened, but I, I feel like City were there for the taking as I've already said and we didn't really take the opportunity um, to do that Kev, we talk about subs quite a lot on the podcast, but do you think Dash got this one wrong or do you think it was just a case of he didn't really have that many options considering the circumstances. I mean, yeah, obviously we we know that there aren't, there aren't the options there. You know, the fact that we have got uh, Tovkovsky coming on to play. He must have, he must have wished that he had Joey Barton on the bench. <laughs> I say Barton, obviously training with the club again. Yeah, yeah, you know, we've got Tarkovsky playing in midfield. Who, you know, he's putting some good performances, but he's he's a he's a centre back, uh, and that really indicates the the, the depth we've got. Um, I mean, is it was it wrong? It's it's interesting to say really because at the end of the day, you know, we, we're playing one of the best teams in the world, and the only reason we've got beat is because of some calamitous defending um, in, in the box. Which I, I'm not sure that comes down to, to the substitute. But on the flip part, on the flip side, uh, if if we had made a more proactive substitution, would we have then gone on and, and got a goal ourselves? It's difficult to know. Um, but yeah, I think. That that's a theme that's going to be really, really. It's been common for quite a while now, and I think we are going to need to strengthen that position in January, whether it's Barton, whether it's somebody else. I'm not sure, but Daish didn't have too much he could have done. I don't. I mean, we, we, even when you know we're talking about bringing Kitely on, you know, I know James is a big fan of Kitely, um, but it's not. He's not. It's not the answer in a Premier League game against Manchester, Manchester City. I don't think. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point. Um, 
as well as Tarkovsky did as well, I think he, he was involved in the, the shambles for the second goal. He's one of the probably three or four players who missed a chance to clear the ball and didn't clear it. So um, if you're going to say how well he played, I think you've also got to point out that he was partly culpable um, for that second goal. I think the thing we put in Tarkovsky on was that it meant when we did get towards the end of the game, we were just sort of hacking the ball up the field and using him almost as a as a, a surrogate target man. I don't think that's going to work against a team like Man City. They did look a little bit susceptible to the aerial barrage at times, but it's it's not much of a plan for me to just hack the ball up the field and hope it drops like it did for us uh, in the Everton game where Arfield scored at the end. I think just because it happened once, we can't just expect it to, to be a play that's going to work. Um, one thing that we've not mentioned yet, Natalie, even before Dean Marnie's early goal, was a strong penalty shout. I think former referee Mark Halsey has been shooting his mouth off on Twitter saying that it should have been a penalty. Uh, Nicholas Otamendi going through the back of Jeff Hendrick in the box. It looked like a fairly clear, clear foul, but they were using all sorts of reasons to justify not giving it on the TV, saying that the sun was in the linesman's eyes and all yeah. this rubbish, but he was also possibly slightly offside. Yeah, it, it's quite a hard one to see the offside, I think, um, in full um, full speed during the game. I think it would be pretty eagle-eyed of the officials to be able to spot that because even watching it on TV on, on a few of the replays, it's, it's even now we're a bit like, oh, is he just offside? Yeah. And is also he you so... hardly ever see free kicks given for offside from free kicks. Yeah, exactly. so much you know, other stuff that people can out Yeah, for, exactly. It's really blatant. No, I, I completely agree. I, I just... There's a, just a real inconsistency at the moment, and I think this is something that has to be addressed across the league. We're playing in what we're told is the best league in the world, is the, is the richest league in the world, and has got the best players, the best clubs, and it's supposed to therefore have the elite officials as well. And, you know, we see week in, week out. Looking at, I mean, I know obviously um, that there's things, things happen every single week, but just this same week, you know, Leicester got an equaliser against Borough, um, which just didn't look anything like a penalty at all. And so you think, well, how has that been given a penalty and ours isn't? We've had shouts and not shouts this season. We've had that ridiculous game at Southampton where there were three penalties one wasn't given, two were the two that were weren't, and the one that wasn't was. And and it's there's just a consistency problem for me in this league, and it's something that just has to be addressed. Um, we've seen them given, we've not seen them given, but I think you know if that if, if that goes in and then Marnie makes it two nil, that's a huge couple of points for us. And again, we, we've talked in the podcast before about trying to stop being um, conspiracy theorists and not trying to subscribe to the woe is us attitude. But there is absolutely, whether it's whether it's just a subconscious one or whether it's a deliberate, but there is definitely a bias towards a bigger size in this t- in this division. And I wonder whether or not that penalty would have been given if it had been on a City player. I really do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't like this little Burnley never get decisions thing but in the face of the evidence that we've had this season it does look that way it was quite interesting watching the Arsenal Bournemouth game on Sunday Bournemouth got a penalty that I don't think a bigger club would have got uh, I don't think a, another small I don't think we would have got <laughs> even if I'm going to get that the right way around um, it was a penalty but I was a bit surprised that they got it at a big club is what I'm trying to say so uh, maybe a sign there that refs some refs at least are happy to give decisions for the smaller clubs 
Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, James, choice of captaincy. For me, it was slightly surprising that Ben Mee got the armband. Do you think he was uh, the obvious choice? I know we talked about captaincy right at the start of the season, I think, but I, I thought maybe Dean Marnie was the obvious pick. Oh, you stole the words right out of my mouth, Jamie, because I was going to say yeah, it was a curious one, and I thought, yeah, Dean Marnie maybe, just on sort of experience level and uh, you know he's obviously a great competitor so you'd think that maybe his face fits if you're talking about someone just to step in for one game um, but then again you know I think Ben Mead does sort of lead by example doesn't he puts his body on the line every game uh, you know you've seen him make some blocks that I think it's very rare players these days you know make so maybe there is you know a, a good leadership element to him there What about you, Kev? Do you think Mia's captain was fine? He did a reasonably good job, although he was involved in the the mix-up, shall we say, euphemistically for the second goal. Yeah, yeah, I mean, wrong. I think Mia was one of the names that was put in the in the mix in the summer when we were uh, uh, sort of the other summer when we were talk- last summer when we were talking about um, who was who was going to be captain before um, Heaton got it. I think he's been he was captain at Manchester City's um, youth team or reserve team, whatever it was. Um, and you know, I think he's quite a strong character. Um, I think you, you know, there's arguments for I mean, for, for Dean Marnie. I I I'd have been I think particularly with him, you know, uh, Ben Me playing against his former team as well. Maybe that um, had had something to do with it. I it's, it's one game. It's it's like when it comes to these one game things as well. It's larger ceremonial. Um, it, it it could very well have been sticking him in it, sticking blood names in a hat, pulling out, seeing what comes out. Um, the, the club captaincy is much more important than the than the, the match day captaincy. But yeah, I don't think it was any surprise for me for, for Ben Mee. I think he's I think he's I think I'm right in saying Ben Mee's had it in a couple of friendly games before as well. So um, yeah, I, 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 it was expected. Fair enough. I had it in my head that Dean Marnie was vice captain, but that might not even be a thing. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he'll be captain when he's fit again, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later. Um, now in the second half, I, I felt Burnley were too direct. I know we are quite a direct team, but there was a lot of long ball, and I think even looking back at the highlights, there was one chance it was a hoof into the box that was a knockdown, and then Barnes's overhead kick right at the end. We didn't really create anything. No, we didn't, um, and I did feel like it was almost like we were trying to consolidate a two-one loss, which was um, an odd, an odd thing to do. At least it was only two-one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We do like that as a positive um, outtake from a game. Um, I do wonder whether um, I'm sure this is is probably not groundbreaking analysis, but we must just be playing this direct ball because we don't have the creative options on the wing. Um, Good Munson had gone off and he's uh, probably our only creative winger at the moment. Um, Arfield and Boyd just don't really create any flair when they're on the ring, when they're on the wing, like we ask them to. Um, and we know it's, it's been a problem since God knows the last transfer window I can think of that we are sadly missing in that squad, a very good winger who can cross the ball well and, and create some chances. We don't have the, um, the crosses coming in from the wing uh, from right back like we had when we had Trippier and the team's just now set up differently. So we're just making the best of what we've got and we are doing it very well, you know, and it isn't, it isn't, 
it's not getting a lot of negative press. There's a lot of people in the press are saying, look, this is how Burnley set up to play. That's what they do. And they do it very well. And sometimes we hear Deitch talking about having to find different ways of winning. And at the moment in the Premier League, to counteract some very, very good sides, we're having to find a way that suits the personnel we've got on the pitch. And if that's all we've got, then that's fine. It's not pretty to watch. We won't create an awful lot. Um, I do worry that in those kind of situations, we have to create maybe 10 or 12 half chances just to try and score one. But you know what? It's all we've got at the moment. So we've just got to carry on doing it well until we can change that. Yeah, I think I, I the wingers were a problem at the weekend, I think. Um, I was looking at the stats and George Boyd touched the ball 22 times in the 90 minutes which is pathetic it's honestly pathetic um it didn't look like he was doing anything either he was he was just you could no, see he, he gave his miles but it's just yeah that's what i mean like, he was just running but it wasn't effective running it was just no. covering distance yeah please don't really sit on the fence about how you feel there's no point is there i mean like it's not a new thing that george boyd isn't doing anything like he runs up and down the wing, that's all he does. And I, I pointed this out on Twitter and someone said, you can't judge him on how often he's touched the ball. It's like, well, he's meant to be an attacker, he's meant to create. You can't just run 10 miles. Like, that can't be... He is I've listed. done my 10 miles, I've done I'm my done. bit. Like, yeah. No, he, he is still listed on the Burnley website as a striker. When you go into the squad list of the first team, it is George Boyd striker. And I just I just can't... It is what he, it is what he does with the ball as well, isn't it, that... I think we all expected maybe a little bit more creativity from him. And, uh, you know, we've seen when he does get the ball in his feet, he just tends to knock it ahead of him and run after it. And it reminds me, I don't want to admit the classic Burnley runner comparison, but it reminds me a little bit of Ian Moore. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> not positive You know, the, the <laughs> like, same thing, he, he takes a long touch, runs after it. Um, and you sort of, you want a little bit more. And I know, obviously... Many people aren't fans of him, but Michael Carter, he does at least try and take a man on. <laughs> you got shares in Michael <laughs> Carter. <Kiley. laughs> it's yeah. a crusade this season's relentless. The Michael Carter Appreciation <laughs> tries, tries Society. Take a man on. And, you know, it's similar. I, I obviously did not rate Junior Stanislas, but I'm going to give a little bit of credit to Junior Stanislas. He tries to take a man on. Um, and I think we just need someone who's going to try and take a man on. I think it would help. I think I said before that I've, I've got some sympathy for our wide players because they do have to do a lot of running, and they do have to press the opposition hard, and they are quite deep a lot of the time. So it's it's difficult to do all that defensive work and then also be a creative threat. But there's just nothing from Boyd on the ball at all. And it's like playing with ten men. Creative. You try and attack, and you've got what would you say th- in the formation we've been playing? Three attackers. You'd say one striker, two wingers. And when one of the wingers is doing nothing, then you've, you've basically a man down. And I think uh, we just need to find a way to get more out of the wide players. Because Good Munson's done a good job this season, but it looks like he's going to be out for probably three weeks, four weeks. It looks like I'm people, so we certainly need to to find another way to get to get the ball. I think, ball, that, it's just I, think probably, I think I think I've got the impression that Dyche almost is not really sure what to do out wide with with the non Goodmanson player. Obviously, we, we tried to bring a winger in in the summer and. It's almost like I think either Arfield and Boyd both have been quite ineffective all season, really, out wide. And, and they do the same yeah. thing, don't they? So when you've got them both, it's, it's almost like 
I, I'm not sure. We, you know, Gubbinson's obviously been our, he's been fantastic out wide, but I'm not sure we, we, we've really known what to do on the other side. And, and whatever option we've used just hasn't worked at all. And I think it was an interesting point what Brom has said about playing it wide, playing it up long because we haven't got that the option, the, the creativity. And I think, you know, particularly when we've got Sam Vokes up front by himself, it's really difficult to create something through the middle. You know, it's not like if you've got the likes of Andre Gray, you know, you could try to play through the middle and, you know, play the through ball 10 times and, Nine times might be offside, but then that one time, you know, like we saw at Bolton last season, he was he was offside about a thousand times. But then the one time he was onside, he went through and scored. And that's what you can do when you've got a player like Andre Gray, who's got that pace. You can play through a middle a lot more. But when you've got Sam Vokes, you really need to build the ball forward with Sam Vokes. He's not someone you can play a ball and he's going to run onto it. You need to build the ball forward as a team. And when you've not got that creativity out wide, it's, it's very difficult to do that. So I think it's a really interesting point that, and it'd be int- I think it'd be really interesting to see what what happens in the summer. Uh, not in the summer, sorry, in January. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah, I hope we do something <laughs> in January rather than waiting for the summer. Yeah, I think um, the, the point about Volks is valid. We've done very well out of feeding Volks when it's a targeted ball into Volks, maybe a 30, 40 yard pass, looking for his chest where he can bring it down, players can get around him. But on Saturday in the second half, I think it was more 60, 70 yard passes. It was pretty much just who filled up the pitch and hope he can get on the end of it. Um, also, I, I, we haven't even mentioned him on the podcast apart from the penalty incident, which is maybe indicative of, of the low profile he's got at the moment. But I don't think Jeff Hendrick, for the sort of advanced midfield role, is working particularly well. Um, he doesn't seem to know really what he's doing when he's back to goal. He, he seems to want to go forward and he, he's ahead of the play a bit too much for me so maybe Marnie being injured would allow us to go back to 4-4-2 possibly Natalie do you think that's an option there's also Andre Gray to think about who's not got on the pitch for the last two games with Barnes preferred well I think I think it's quite obvious that there's something not quite right with Andre at the moment whether it's match fitness or whether it's it's a mental problem but obviously he's being left out of the side for a reason um, I don't think that's particularly controversial to say that I think yeah. it's quite apparent to not everybody. Not the last two games, two of the last three exactly. he did come yeah. on it, it came on at West Exactly, he brought him straight back on um, for, for his first game after the ban didn't he so, and then he's just dropped him again so obviously there's something not quite right there we're not privy to that information so we can only assume at the moment that he's not available for selection um so i would i would really like to see ashley starting providing he's got the legs in there and if that means us going back to a 442 then then that's absolutely fine i'm nervous about doing that just because our best results and our best run this season have come from that 451 um but we have to, we're going away on saturday to an away game and we are in a really bad away day problem at the moment which we need to sort out um We've gone four five one away from home, and it's just not worked. We've tried four four two at the start of the season; it's just not worked. So, I think, assuming that Goodmanson's out, um, I think we have to. I think obviously we've we've not got the personnel for the four five one. Um, so I think we can't really go away to Stoke and just play for a nil nil draw. It's that's just a ridiculous strategy. So I would I would like to see us go back to 4-4-2 and start Ashley. Um, I think he's got a lot to prove and he looks hungry and he looks like just causing a nuisance. So that would be my vote. Yeah, I think Barnes to come in is a is a decent selection idea. I think um, the problem with Barnes and Volks as a pair is that they're a bit samey for me. I know Barnes has got a bit more physical edge. He likes to battle with the defenders a bit more. He's probably a bit quicker. Um, but... 
I don't think he's he, he's not going to stretch teams like Greywood. Um, I would quite like to see Barnes wide in the four five one actually, particularly if Goodmanson was fit. But if he's not, then it allows us to have a runner on one side and someone who's at least got a goal threat on the other side. So I, I did hear that said. You mean another uh, option when we brought Tarkovsky? Or maybe we should have brought Barnes on and played him wide. Yeah, I mean, I I thought like Tarkovsky wouldn't have been in my thinking at all, but yeah, as I've already said, it must have been very difficult. You've had to make one change in midfield already, then you've got another one. Goodmanson couldn't even try and play on like Marnie did, so there was no couple of minutes where you could think about it. It's just you've got to make a decision straight away. But I think Barnes out wide would have been a more positive change. Might have been the same result. We could have lost anyway, but yeah, I think Barnes out wide would have probably been my pick. Um, in that situation, do you think Barnes coming in and back to four four two is a strong option for next Saturday, James at Stoke? I mean, potentially. The only thing with uh, Barnes is I'd like to see him just not give away so many weird fouls. It reminds me a bit of you remember Gareth Taylor. I think at one point I'd like was the top scorer in the championship and also the top uh, offender for giving away fouls just for backing in. And as much as I like seeing Barnes' competitive side, I'm just not sure 90 minutes of him giving away fouls for backing in um, it is going to be helpful to the game. I'm not sure if it maybe breaks it up a little bit too much. Um, it's really difficult. I feel like he has an impact as a sub, whereas I'm kind of, I'm not sure that Gray necessarily has the same impact. I think Gray is someone who likes to settle into the game a little bit more. So personally, I'd rather think I'd rather see Gray come back into the side, and then when Volks tires, uh, bring Barnes on because I think the last couple of games, in fact, particularly on Saturday, I thought Volks was really struggling towards the end. You know, he put a lot of running in during the game, and you could see that every effort to close someone down was a real struggle for him. Uh, obviously, I think on another day. Dash would have probably brought Gray on at that point, but he's already had the two injury subs, so he's playing, you know, with a shortened hand as to what he can do. But I think that'd be the way to go for me because I feel that Volks and Barnes are maybe a more either or choice than than Gray and Barnes or Gray and Volks because Gray's a completely different player to the pair of them. Yeah, I think um, for Gray, obviously, it's it's the season's not gone anything like how we would have hoped or expected. Uh, the ban will have had an impact, if, even if it's just on fitness, keeping him away for for a few weeks. But the best thing for strikers is always playing and scoring goals. And if you keep the lad on the bench, it's not going to get any better. So at some point, we're going to have to play him. We paid a lot of money for him. He's scored a lot of goals. So we're just going to have to have faith, I think, that Gray can, whatever's going on in his head, he can just put it right on the football pitch and... Sure, Burnley fans will all love to, to get behind him and want to see him scoring goals um, as soon as possible. Uh, one player who has been criticised, touched on just then, Kev, is Hendrick. Again, a player we spent a lot of money on, £10 million. Not like a £10 million player, to be fair, but it seems to me like a lot of the criticism is based on value, which I think is a bit unfair because Jeff Hendrick didn't decide he was worth £10 million. No, and I think it's one of those... It's. <laughs> You're looking around the market. There's not many, you know, the like. There's not many Joy Bartons about where we got obviously him for a, on a free transfer um, in a promotion season. And you, you, I think 
you know, you, you look at some players, you'll, you'll get a great deal on them. And then some players that seem like a bit more, but that's just how the market works. And we, we've got him for what I'm, I'm not sure if he's, I'm not sure what it is with him. He's not being massively poor, uh, but he doesn't seem to be making a, a big impact on games either. I'm not sure if he's, um, I'm not studied him, <laughs> studied him, but I've not watched him too much to, I'm not sure if he's like David Jones in that a lot of what he does goes unnoticed. Uh, obviously, Jones got a lot of stick from Burnley fans and for for not having a big big enough impact on games at times, not being positive enough passing back. I'm not sure. Obviously, Hendrick's a different player, but I'm not sure if it's the similar situation. But he's doing stuff. It's just it just doesn't stand out the same way with the likes of Gubbinson or other forces. I'm not sure, but I, I, when you start to look at, I don't think what essentially once the transfer was done, I, I think the value's irrelevant. We talk about again with with Andre Gray, we paid a lot of money for him. As soon as that transfer's done, I don't think what you pay for him is any relevance at all. It, it doesn't matter whether he's at Hendrick who's coming for ten million or his um, Aidan O'Neill has come for the youth system is probably on you know peanuts um in, in wages as well. But that's not really important to me. The importance is what we're doing on the pitch at the time. Um hopefully you know he'll he will start to see a lot more yeah, from I him. think the, um, the Jones comparison's an interesting one. There was one game a couple of games ago, I can't remember which one it was but said a few comments saying that he'd had a quiet game. So I was looking at the stats again. Sorry to keep going on about stats. I know some people find stats really boring. Um, but his pass completion was like 95%, which is fantastic. Um, but it does indicate to me that maybe he's a bit too safe in possession. And if he's going to be the most advanced of the central three, um, he probably needs to be a bit more incisive, a bit braver on the ball rather than just keeping it. Um, I'd always rather someone keeps the ball rather than gives it away but at some point you have to be a bit more just try and play a, a dangerous pass that's going to open someone up rather than a sideways ball that's not going to really get you any further up the pitch um, I think he needs yeah, to be a bit more bit, forceful in got... challenges as well, he seems hanging back a bit, he's, but I'm, I feel sorry for him in a way because it's he's played like half a dozen Premier League games he's playing at a new level he's playing in a, a system that might be a bit unfamiliar to him He's getting used to all his colleagues, so I think it's just he needs a bit more time. I think I think people have been a little bit harsh on him. I think he's he's kind of playing sort of stuck between two roles though as well, isn't he? That I think that kind of uh, skews it a bit. He's maybe not clear on what exactly his position well, is. It. A lot of people say I don't see what he does, but I don't see what we're asking him to do. I, d- I don't understand his role, so I don't know how Hendrick's meant to understand his role. Because at times it looks like he's playing almost with Volks, and then at times he's filling the gap between the two central midfielders and Volks. It's like, is he there to scoop up second balls? Because it looks a little bit like that at times as well, that you know, if Volks doesn't take it down, Hendrick is there to, to pick up the scraps. And it just feels a bit disjointed with sort of what he's looking to do. And I mean, it doesn't help that he's, he's had a couple of chances to score now and he, he's not taking them, obviously, particularly West Brom. It was a chance he probably should have taken. And I think that sort of affects his confidence level. And uh, you know, and then obviously on Saturday, when he doesn't get that penalty early on, maybe that affects him as well. And he thinks, is anything going to go my way at this? You know? Yeah, I think it's definitely partly confidence. And I'm sure if... if... He scored a goal that would probably help, and the penalty the penalty incident is a really good point actually because one of the things that I've seen people pull him up for is that he's he's too weak and he gets bumped off the ball too easily. He got bumped off the ball and it should have been a penalty, so like not really have it both ways. 
Um, maybe he's just a sort of player who's unsurely, and a lot of his best work does go unnoticed, like Kev says, I'm sure. We will see a bit more from him as the season okay. goes on, but Marnie's injury is, is an opportunity to to have a bit of a reshuffle, maybe. So maybe it will be two in midfield for the weekend. Um, we'll preview Stoke in a bit more detail next, but before then, it's everyone's highlights of the podcast. The only reason people listen is Tweet of the Week, so over to Natalie. Tweet of the Week, 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 Tweet of the Week. Indeed. And I have to say, I think it's the main reason why I keep asking you to let me do it, because otherwise I think I'd get sacked from the podcast. So Well, I've been two of you sacked this week for <laughs> lateness. I know, we've been very bad this week. But yes, definitely my highlight of the week. Some weeks more challenging than others when we troll through your social media posts at the end of the game or at a big event and try and pick what was our highlight. Um, lots to choose from this week, but the winner went to Ian Montgomery who summed up how we were all feeling after that game pretty well. And he says, stop a few sloppy defensive errors and add a little creative spark and it could be good this year. Not sure how I feel now. And I, I do agree with Ian there. It does feel like we are so very, very close to being a side that can stay up and compete in this division. We just need a few tweaks and, and get rid of, like we said before, these unforced errors. So that was my tweet of the week. Well done, Ian. Yeah, I don't think we're far away at all. We were ninth in the league two games ago, so I don't think anyone's panicking. Um, but Saturday did feel a bit like two years ago for me in that we played pretty well and like the spirit and character was really good and we battled really hard and it was brave Burnley, but we got beat. <laughs> it just felt like so many games two years ago where we'd done everything right technically and then just managed to lose. Let's look ahead to the Stoke game then. They've turned their form around after a terrible start to the season. One of the winners at Watford at the weekend. Very good result for them. Watford have been going well. Um, difficult place to go, James, but our record there isn't too bad, is it? We've won a couple there recently. Yeah, I remember last Premier League season, uh, Michael Carty had a really good game at Stoke, and we won. Uh, <laughs> Are you, is this a bet? Are you, have you got a bet on... How many times can you mention Michael? I'll give you 10p every time you mention Michael Gowley on the podcast. Is that what's going that on? just happened to smoothly come into being. Um, they're a tough team to take. They're, they're an interesting side as well, aren't they? Because when they were previously staying up on Tony Pulis, they had a you know real identity about them and they didn't actually reinvent themselves, which is pretty, pretty unusual for mid-table Premier League sides. So... You know, I think full full credit to them for, for doing that. Um, it's going to be a tough game. And, you know, with the way we've been playing on the road, it's going to be difficult to to see how we're going to, you know, fix that in a game against a sideline store. But uh, I think we've got to find a way, obviously, to get something on the road. And um, I think there's... Worst teams to, to play if you if you're looking for something and uh, you know I just I think we need to play the way we did at home on Saturday and if we do that we should at least get a point out of it I think yeah it must just be a mentality thing because it's not like we when we're at home and play really well it's not like we're playing like a home team we often play like an away team and try and play on the break and hurt teams that way so. There's no reason why that wouldn't work away from home. It seems a bit strange that we've been so poor on the road. 
Um, Kevin Allostock have put a few results together. They are just a, a middling Premier League team, really. There shouldn't really be anything for us to fear from going there. Um, there shouldn't be, but like we said, you know, I think we... we fear... Well, we lost 4-0 at West Brom, so... Yeah, I think I think when we play away from home at the moment, we, we, we fear everything. We even lost to Accrington away from home, so... <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's one of those games where... Wow, thanks for reminding us about that. Yeah, it, it, it's strange, but it's like, you look at this game, you think, well, you know, we should be looking to, looking to win this, but actually I'm going into it thinking... Do you know what? I just want us to give a good, good account of ourselves, and that's not we should, what we should be thinking. That's, I think that's a sign of how poor we've been. Is that I'm just wanting us to give a good, good account of ourselves. Maybe you know, get a if we could get a draw, that'd be fantastic. But it's, I think that's not the mentality we should be having looking good this game. And I hope that's not leading through to the, to, the, to the team as well. I hope they're not going there thinking, you know, let's you know, give a good account of ourselves. Let's do better than we did at West Brom. I hope they're going to to win. I really hope that's what's happening. But that's not how I'm feeling. I, I wish I was. Yeah, I think it's definitely the sort of game, isn't it, Natalie, where most Birmingham fans would take a draw if it was offered now. Yeah. Um, oh, would, would we say that? The instinct, as soon as you said that question, then was me to say, yes, I, w- I would take a point because I think any point that you can get away from home um, is is a bonus point in this league and is, is really vital. And we aren't going to get... Sorry. However, we aren't going to get enough points from home to get us to survive this season. That's We're just not going to do so. At some point, we have to break this curse and we have to start picking up three points away from home. Otherwise, it's going to be a long old slog and we're very much going to be dragged into that relegation fight. We're only just above it by, what is it, three points at the moment. So whilst... The answer to that, the instinct is probably to say, yes, we'd take a point. Actually, I, I really feel like this is a massive chance for us to get three points. And I think this would really put our um, season back on track if we could. So I'm with well, I'm with Kevin. I really hope they go out there to try and win. For me, I, I think it's I think it's an essential three points at a, an inconsistent Stoke side that have struggled so far. Yeah, you never know what you're going to expect from Stoke. So hopefully they'll have a bad day and we'll have a good day. And that would suit us quite nicely. Um, let's round off as always with predictions then Kevin you can go first give us a prediction for Stoke v Burnley on Saturday at 3 o'clock at whatever they're calling their stadium um, my honest prediction is that we're, if it's an actual prediction I, I honestly think we're probably going to get beat I'm going to go 2-0 but I'm going to be optimistic I'm going to go optimistic and say there's going to be zero goals it's going to be a horrible match it's going to be horrendous. Everybody's going to be like just checking their phones halfway through because it's so boring. Nothing's happening, and we're going to get a, a zero, a zero, zero draw. What's it called? <laughs> nil, 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 nil draw. <laughs> a zero, zero. Brilliant. Um, if if you just like to give us one prediction, James, rather than multiple, that'd be good. We're going to win three nil. Uh, it's not going to be an Andre Gray hat trick, but it's going to be a Michael Carty hat trick of assists. <laughs> hat trick of assists. Brilliant. You probably couldn't predict an Andre Gray hat-trick since you predicted an Andre Gray double hat-trick and you didn't even get Andre Gray may get one of them, though, I think. <laughs> For the City games, though. But maybe this is... Maybe, this is um, maybe now that he's not predicted the Andre Gray hat-trick, maybe it will actually happen. There you go. That That is how predictions work. Isn't that right, it Natalie? It certainly is. Listeners, <laughs> drum roll, it's back. 
the new wave of positive we're Burnley going to win 3-0 has <laughs> not been working. The new turnstile has been letting us down. So we are bringing back reverse psychology. Boom. I've got a really bad feeling about Saturday. I think. <laughs> I think. Oh, I think. <laughs> Don't hate it. It works. I think Stoke are going to prove to be far too difficult um, a game for us. I think we're going to struggle. I don't see how we're going to break this away day. Who do we've got? And I fear that Burnley are going to lose 4-0. Again, excellent. That's about 4-0 defeats. Um, so on that bombshell, we'll end this week's podcast. Thanks to Natalie, James and Kevin for joining me. Thanks to Rick who provides our artwork, which you can see via social media or on the website. No, no, never. Dot net where you can access all our old podcasts as well should you wish to go back and listen to any of them don't know why you'd want to do that you can get in touch with us as well email address as always podcast.nonanever.net and also tweeters nonanevernet and we are still seeking sponsorship so if your company is interested please get in touch and we'll let you know how to go about that but that's it for this week I've been Jamie Smith we'll be back next week goodbye and yeah, that's why I'm going to edit myself out because I've got nothing to say after that. <laughs> Sounded like you were going to say something really profound then. You had me hooked. It's such a disappointment, Kevin. Yeah, just not. Yeah, you, you don't know me at all, do yeah. you, Natalie? <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.